Hello, and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for listening today. And if you've listened before, welcome back. In our last conversation, we talked about one of the most powerful skills we can learn, the ability to change our perspective, see things in a new light, and become more flexible. This helps us relate to others and ourselves much more effectively, regulate and manage our emotions, and find new paths when we thought that all the doors were closed. During that conversation, we also talked about self-confidence, including how self-confidence can support healthy forms of flexibility, when we're sure of ourselves in a variety of different situations, and trust that we'll be able to handle what life throws at us, we don't need to be so rigid. On the other hand, we don't want to be so flexible that we start to feel like we're a doormat that life walks all over. And self-confidence can help there too, as it gives us the belief in ourselves we need to create healthy boundaries with other people, stand in our truth, and pursue what we really care about. So today we're going to be exploring how we can become more self-confident, and I'm joined as usual by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist, a best-selling author, and he's also my dad. So dad, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm confident that this will be a good episode. Yeah, I love this topic. I think it's really great. Um, I was actually really surprised looking back through our catalog that we'd never really done a full episode on self-confidence before. Mm. It uh, it seems like such a low-hanging content fruit for the podcast. I'm surprised yeah. I hadn't pruned it. Uh, we've done self-efficacy, which is similar, and we'll maybe talk about some similarities and some differences as we get into the episode. But before we do all that, I wanted to give people a quick reminder about your NeuroDharma online course. It's an online program that's launching in early October. And it's focused on developing seven key qualities that can help us steady the mind, warm the heart, and find a reliable sense of inner peace. If you're interested in learning more about the program, I've included a link to it in the description of today's episode. And if you choose to order it, you can use the coupon code BEINGWELL20 for 20% off the purchase price. So getting into it here, Dad, uh, confidence is sometimes a tricky topic for people because we tend to combine confidence and our capability. And, and we just mm. kind of unify them, right? We say, hey, if you just become better at something, you'll become more confident. But we know in practice that that's just not true. There are plenty of people who are really good at things who still lack confidence. There are also some people who aren't very good at something, <laughs> but they still manage to feel confident in their ability to do it. So what's the difference in your experience between people who might both be good at something, but one group is good and confident, and the other is capable but still not so confident. Well, I think like a lot of key words that we use in everyday life, like confidence or security or love, it's sort of like my experience is at a surface level, we all kind of sort of know what we're talking about. Then in the middle, if you unpack it and pull it into its parts, it's really kind of complicated. And yet, if you go all the way down to the depth of it, uh, we all know what it means again. And there's a kind of stable essence or core to it all. And I think of confidence as having one element that's about an expectation. Like I'm a old mm. rock climber and I have no confidence that I can climb 511 level of difficulty, let alone higher grades than that. But I'm really quite confident that I could walk out the door today and climb, you know, something in the more intermediate range. So there's that expectation thing. Then there's this other element, which is sort of more process-oriented. It's not so much to have confidence that you can achieve a particular outcome, but to have confidence that, fill in the blank, you're going to keep trying, you're going to bring your heart to it, and you're going to learn along the way, which for me are kind of three standout ways of looking back over our lifespan in terms of, you know, feeling good about it, hopefully, and also looking forward to the next things that will come. In other words, are you going to keep trying? Are you going to bring your heart to it? And are you going to learn along the way? So that's a more process source of confidence. I don't know. How about you? What have you not been maybe so confident about? And then how did you become more confident? You're right that this can be a domain-specific thing. We yeah. talk about people as just being confident people or not being confident people. And that itself, I think, is a bit of tra a trap yeah. because it frames confidence as being this like immutable trait as opposed to something that we can work with and develop over time. And I wonder if a lot of this gets to something that I've I've heard you point out in the past, particularly when we were working on the book Resilient together, 
We have wins every day. Making it to the pillow at the end of the day is a kind of a win, to put it that way. Little accomplishments, little good things. And we so infrequently actually take them into ourselves as like lasting features, right? So I wonder about the difference between those two people again, both capable, one confident, one not. What's the difference? And I wonder if it gets to the difference between having a win, which they've both had, they're both yeah. capable, which means that they both have had wins in their life, right? Versus actually experiencing it. Mm. And the lens for me for a lot of this is dancing. Because as you know, I dance as a serious hobby. Uh, that's really my background with it. And man, there are people who are, uh, in the way that West Coast Swing does their dance levels, they're novice level dancers. They're kind of beginners. And they are so happy to go out on the floor at a wedding and just throw down, have a great time, move their body, whatever. Are they the best dancers in the world? No, probably not. But like, that's not part of their calculus because it feels good to them. Mm. And then I know so many people who are phenomenal dancers. They've been training for 10 years and they're terrified about the prospect of going on the floor at that wedding and that like most relaxed environment possible, right? And so if you're one of those people who has had a lot of reps around something and you've done a lot of learning around it, a huge question to ask yourself here is whether or not you've had positive experiences that are associated with those repetitions. If you've had good emotions along the way. Because if you don't have that, it's really hard to become more self-confident, which I think is really interesting in all of this, right? It's interesting about confidence. In other words, we can be confident about being able to produce a result or not. We can also be confident about the process of acquiring a capability, that confident that we can gradually learn it or not, right? There's that. And then I think there's confidence about certain things that are just outside of our control, like how we expect or anticipate that other people will react to us. Mm. So there's different mm -hmm. kinds of confidence, right? And I think your point is really right, that when you're having successes, it's really important to actually take in the good, as it were, of those successes, to let it really land inside so that tendencies towards self-doubt, irrational self-doubt, that really undermine confidence, those tendencies are defeated by the emotional internalization again and again of experiences of success, let's say, or successfully acquiring a capability in kind of a growth mindset frame along the way. So I think that's a fantastically important point for us about really letting yeah. it land. And, and you're exactly right. I've known a number of people who they have success after success after success, except it doesn't really sink in. And then because of the mm, negativity mm -hmm. bias, you know, they're just they're just devastated by one negative performance or one negative review. Yeah. And so I wonder what makes people prone to that. Mm. And this is where this really interesting idea comes along, which I, I bumped into recently. It's from a guy named Dr. K. You might have seen his content in the past. He runs the Healthy Gamer channel on uh. Twitch and YouTube. He's got like one and a half million subscribers or something. And he's a Harvard psychiatrist. Really cool guy, creates cool content. And his sort of theory about this in a video that of his that I bumped into is not so much that we gain confidence, but rather that we release insecurity. Mm. Because if you think about it, a kid, a child, like a little kid running around is extremely confident, right? Yeah. They're, they're knocking glasses over. They're literally pooping their pants. They're doing whatever they're doing. And they do not, they do not care. They're not that worried about the, uh, the things that other people are thinking or the ways that other people are viewing them. They're just living their life. So then what happens, right, is that the world happens to us. We learn different things about the ways that people are going to respond to us. And I wonder if that's also a major feature in the difference between those two groups. Like, what have they learned? What have they picked up along the way that's getting in the way of their natural self-expression? And I wonder what you think about that. Well, I think it's complicated and somewhat has to do with individual temperament. Yeah. I think it's absolutely true that we are the learning animal. I don't know what the Latin is mm -hmm. for learning, homo something, you know, the learning ape. But we really learn, okay? And you can learn insecurity. You can learn what in the old days was called an inferiority complex. And if you also are embedded in, as you well know, societies that disparage the group of people or type of people you belong to, pick your category, women, people of color, you know, different body shapes, sexual orientation, social class, whatever, you know, then 
there are external forces that are very powerful. And then you'd add to that maybe more individual situations like a really critical parent or a really kind of mean coach. You can learn that lack of confidence. But the basic idea that we come into the world as confident, I'm a little more suspicious of because I think part of it has to do with temperament. I mean, there's a lot of material about the ways in which children will look back to caregivers who operate as kind of an emotional secure base to make sure that they're being watched and then they'll venture forth, they'll naturally explore. And also they're just different temperaments. Some kids are quite wary, they're slow to warm, right? Including wary about how the world will, will deal with them, which has to do to some extent with a kind of wariness about how they'll perform. And so I, I'm not sure that every kid, you know, comes out into social settings or physically, you know, challenging settings with that exuberant confident of confidence that, yes, yes, I will succeed, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But just with that little yeah, caveat, no, it's all really point, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think this is a great point, which is that different people are different, as I always like to say on the podcast over and over again. And there's a range of experiences here. And just to say that to include people who are hearing me say, oh, we all pop out naturally confident. They're going, I don't know about me, man. So, you know, I, I do want to respect the whole range here. I think the overall point that learning insecurity has at least as large a influence over us as mm. learning confidence, to maybe think about it that way, is really true. And I, I've definitely experienced that in my own life, for sure, I would say. But they're both tracks, and they're both important things to do. I really love your emphasis, actually. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit here. I mean, if you really think that, here you are, go with me. You are a hot air balloon. Okay, you okay, great. Or, no, a hot I am air a balloon. hot air balloon. Okay, I'm full of hot air, as yeah. many have said. And yes. let's let's suppose that. Well, <laughs> no, separating out that, <laughs> me included, and hot air. Anyway, <laughs> okay, um, hot air. Let's and go. let's say that uh, the sky is good. The sky is the goal. All right. Now, one way to understand this is that oh my goodness, to get up to the sky, you have to keep huffing and puffing, and keep blowing hot air into the balloon so that it soars. Oh, that's a lot of work. Or if the nature of the balloon is to soar, what you need to do is toss the ballast overboard. That's dragging you down. I prefer that view. It's positive. And optimism supports confidence, yes. And to me, I think it's accurate. I think the resting state, when we're not scared, when we're not depressed, when we're not you know, beleaguered by other people, yeah. The natural movement, the organism defaults to the green zone, basically, like other mammals do in their own ways. And in that is a natural movement toward mastery, a natural movement toward exploration, a natural generosity of the heart, a natural movement toward actualizing abilities in us. Those are natural things that are like the wellsprings or the updrafts. Mm-hmm. There we go. Back to the metaphor, the updrafts <laughs> that help our balloon to soar up high into the sky. Wow. Well, I love this metaphor. I think it's fantastic. And it's also somewhat validated by different social theories, one of which is self-determination theory, which is a view that all people essentially possess an innate drive toward growth and exploration and all of the things that you just said. In other words, we're like naturally motivated to uh, try things out and improve and grow and kind of figure things out. Uh, Mastery motivation, as you also said, is a major feature of kids. It's why we learn anything at all, at least in point, is because we just have this innate drive to figure it out. Yeah. But then what gets in the way of that again, right? And for self-determination theory, what they identified as the primary thing that gets in the way is the presence of unsupportive social structures and external influences. In other words, all of those things out in the world that we learn insecurity from. And that's what I want to ask you about next. Like, What are some of the major sources of that learning of insecurity for people? Well, certainly the input of other people, huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second, what happens when you flop? So I'm kind of Mm -hmm. separating Mm -hmm. out individual people's, uh, other people being very critical, uh, just in general or non-supportive. But then what happens when you when you flop? Does everybody laugh? Is it humiliating? And then you refuse to get out on the dance floor of life ever again, right? Or on the other hand, are you with people who, you know, cheer you on for your effort? They let, you know, they commiserate with you that it didn't go that well that day. And they kind of draw you into a path of ongoing. 
Um, that's why I think it's really important to be an ally to others in the encouragement of their dreams. I think we much too casually just sort of shrug and go neutral when other people tell us about something they care about and they want to pursue rather than celebrating their vision, getting into their vision, maybe offering a little bit of realistic advice or question or raising a concern, but on the whole, really being supportive. Then I want to bring up this one particular thing that I've been thinking more about, which is I think that one way to understand confidence is it's not about me. It's about me tapping into currents, forces that are mm-hmm. in some ways universal, like the current of love or the current of sincerity, the current of, of service, the current of a kind of a artistic talent inside oneself that is surging to be expressed. And so what you can do then, when you do that, it takes you out of the kind of arguing inside your head between doubting voices and attempts at reassuring yourself. And instead of all that, you kind of give yourself over to something that a value or an emotion, a way of being in which you can have confidence. So maybe one way to understand some of the, one of the major sources of lack of confidence is a lack of experiences in those deeper wellsprings, deeper currents that are very positive and wholesome, which can carry you along. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea, Dad, in part because it's a way to sort of get around some of the stories that we're telling about mm-hmm. ourselves. Those stories that we've learned from other people or other situations, family systems that maybe weren't super supportive of us, situations where we have a memory of, where we put ourselves out there in some way and we're really shot down by somebody else, or just the more everyday experience that I was talking about at the beginning, where we're having all of these wins, but we're never experiencing a win. It feels like we only experience the losses, we never experience the wins, even though we manage to have way more wins than losses somehow, right? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of giving over, which is sort of an ineffable experience, it's like hard to talk about exactly what it feels like, but I think you'd, you'd like, I know what you mean. That feeling can be really powerful because it just gets around all of that material. It makes it about something other than you. It sort of subverts some of the ego structures that we've maybe built along the way. Do you think that's a fair way to talk about it? Yeah. And to, if I could raise an example that- Yeah, totally. It might be a and little bit of You can finesse a, what I said also, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, what you just mm. said there. I So I have uh, clients that are coming back into the world of dating again. And so they yeah, typically are using online apps to do that of various kinds. And they often will grumble about the process being really onerous. And part of it has to do with being very pessimistic that it will produce any results for them. And 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 also in all that, underneath it, they're, they're kind of, they don't have confidence that if they put themselves out, in some senses, into the marketplace, if you will, that anybody will want them. And because they don't want to risk the dreaded experience of nobody wanting me, you know, they tend to not engage the process at all, which then unfortunately becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, as it were. So what to do? One example of what I'm talking about is to change the terms of the framework or the game, quote unquote, that you're playing from, will they want me? How can I make them want me? Right? Which is problematic because you don't have much control over that. And it's understandable that maybe you don't have much expectation of success. Thus, in other words, low confidence. It's understandable. What if you shift it to, okay, I'm going to give myself over to, in Rick's language, a kind of current flowing through me of finding what's likable and good in the people that I'm interacting with. That's what I'm going to give myself over to. I'm going to give myself over to a kind of benevolence, a kind of finding the good. I'm going to reserve my rights. I'm, I may not want to see a person again or you know, continue the interaction if I don't want to, but I'm going to give myself over to that way of being. I'm going to let that way of being carry me along. I'm going to find it. I'm going to know what that feels like, and I'm going to keep returning to it, and I'm going to be lived by it moving through me in this process, let's say, of online dating. That would be an example of giving oneself over 
to to a current. We can have confidence in that way of being. And actually, we can also realize that, wow, one of the best ways in the world (laughs) to increase the odds that other people will like you and want you is to be centered in an authentic finding of the good in them. And I wonder if part of what you're talking about here, particularly kind of the first half of it, is about redefining what a whim looks like for a person. I think that a lot of the time we have a very narrow version of what a good outcome is. And I speak from some personal experience here. This is something that I struggled with for a long time. And I tend to use the language of liking and wanting Mm -hmm. to talk about this. That's been very, very helpful for me. Where a lot of the time what I was finding is that I was having a pretty good experience. And even while I was having the good experience, I could track a part of me that was desiring, waiting for, looking out for, looking forward to a slightly different, slightly better version of the experience that I was currently having. Mm. And so I was just habitually moving away from enjoyment and toward desire. And we know over and over again that that is a recipe for suffering that comes from a lot of different traditions, but it particularly comes from Buddhism. And that was just a habit that I had where Mm -hmm. I had a very narrow definition of what good enough looked like. And frankly, I think that some of it was defensive in nature where I could kind of like hold out for something else or keep the cards close to my vest or whatever it might be. And so by opening up what I was allowed to experience as good and being a little bit looser about like what success looked like, Hmm. all of a sudden, all of these enjoyable experiences were so much more on the table for me. And um, I could really kind of hang out in the liking part of something without getting caught by the wanting part of it as much. Hmm. So I wonder if that kind of plays into part of what you're saying here. I think that's a lot of it. In other words, if we're trying to become confident about an outcome that we want, Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of forces there to undermine that confidence. On the other hand, if we can redefine that what we're doing is, you know, enjoying the intrinsic rewards, the feeling of the journey along the way that we're liking, we can have a lot of confidence that we can be liking the process. Mm, I I think mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. that's really true. I think that's really great. That's a great way to put it, Dad. I really love that distinction that you're drawing there about liking the process as opposed to wanting the outcome yeah. is maybe a way to put it. And you know, a lot of our outcomes in life are not actually very under our control. Yeah. I, this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but it's just true. Like Luck is a major factor in life. Uh, other people have opinions too. Uh, again, returning to dancing, maybe just the judge doesn't like you that day. You know, You can't control that, but you can control your own effort. And really doing what you can to be like, this is a fun experience. I can just hang out in this, even if the outcomes from it are uncertain. Yeah. I don't know. I'm in a mood. So I'm going to just toss it in. <laughs> you have been a little in a mood. This is, I was like, I thought we were going to talk about self-confidence. Now we're doing liking and wanting. We're just going here. And we well, will no, eventually was... come back to insecurity for yeah, the yeah. people playing along yeah. at home. But yeah, okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. That's right. Well, so... Just recently, I was reading this beautiful, profound thing about how we um, just deal with the ongoing, what's called hedonic tone or feeling tone of experience mm-hmm. as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. It arises that, you know, this is enjoyable. We like it. It arises that that's painful. We don't like it. And it arises that many things are neither. They're kind of, yeah. Okay. Then what happens? And that's when trouble begins, right? So there's, as you know, a lot of good teaching and practical psychology about, you know, being able to tolerate and have space for and be okay with a range of hedonic tones without being triggered into drivenness and and fight, flight, freeze responses, you know, related to them. Okay, great. In all that, who feels? Who likes? Who dislikes? Or we could say, who doubts? Or who is confident? And Mm. that's where the sense of self can really get into the mix. Sometimes we get caught up in the hamster wheel of arguing with ourselves inside our heads, you know, the voice of doubt, the voice of confidence, and then the, you know, referee in the middle. And sometimes I just kind of wonder about 
ways of being in the world that are not about self-doubt or self-confidence, that are more about a kind of, like I said previously, a kind of surrendering to the best within mm -hmm. ourselves and being lived by it as it moves through us. And then it's not so much about I or me, it's really about opening to and allowing and you know making room for and having confidence in those fundamental processes of goodness and good nature that flow through us. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeingWell. If you're like me, you've probably started to pay closer attention to your long-term health as you've aged. Turning 35 was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I'm always looking for good sources of information, because it's often really difficult to separate fact from fiction when it comes to our physical health. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy the Dr. John Delaney show. Dr. John's show was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment, and it speaks to how much value people get out of the show. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, and he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has a very cool format. Real people call into the show, and he walks them through how to navigate a tough situation related to common challenges. Maybe it's something related to their relationships, anxieties, or emotional well-being. He explores a lot of topics that are similar to what we talk about on this podcast, but while we can sometimes be pretty theoretical in nature, the format of John's show just creates a lot of directness and practicality to it. I think it's actually a really nice compliment to what we do here on Being Well. No matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Delaney Show is here for you. And if you ever need some advice, you know who to call. Listen to The Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. Yeah, and then I think the question, as with all of this stuff, very importantly, is like, okay, how do we get there, right? Yeah. You know, because that sounds like the the beautiful culmination of a process. Yeah, and that's true. There are a lot of different ways in here for people, right? Like, yeah. for some people, just hearing that, or hearing that different approach where we're trying to de-self self-confidence for lack of yeah. a better way of putting it yeah. we're just we're just moving toward confidence rather than self-confidence however you want to say it or we're just being the way we really are which is that kind of like unfiltered version of the self um kind of before the world got in the way is maybe a, a way of putting it just hearing that as like a way into this can be very useful for people just as like, oh, that's a thing on the table that can kind of be a light bulb moment that just snaps somebody out of it. And, and hopefully there are people who are listening to this now where it had that effect on them. And then you're going to have probably, uh, I suspect, a larger group of people who's going to be like, well, that sounds great, but how do I do that? And the answer to part of that question is a lot of practice and a, a long path. But I also think that a lot of it has to do with, again, clearing away impediments which gets back to some of the stuff that I was thinking about earlier in terms of the more insecurity factors. Yeah. And yeah, relaxing the self can help deal with those insecurity factors as well. 
And so it can be a little bit maybe of a magic bullet here. But for a lot of people, it's just that's a very high bar based on where they are right now, and particularly based on the ways that their life feels right now. Life feeling challenging, life feeling overwhelming, life feeling like there's a lot of demands on them. And that's what kind of takes me back to the working around releasing obstructions Mm. or releasing insecurity material, right? And this is probably going to be particularly true for people who had difficult experiences earlier on in life. Uh, It's an almost one-to-one ratio of as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs go up, confidence goes down. It's just a major source of that for people. And so I'm wondering, Dad, outside of the self part of it, which obviously is a big piece of the puzzle, but I'm just wondering, finding other ways in for people, what tends to help people release those, that learning that they've had from earlier on that they shouldn't be confident? Boy, so much to it. One is being in relationships today with people who believe in you, who build you up rather than tear you down, who encourage you, who are realistic with you about how to be more skillful next time, but on the whole, Mm. keep recognizing and fueling and prizing those good qualities in you that over time will bear fruit. That's Mm. really, really big. Yet, it could be time, it can take some time to find that person. What do you do meanwhile? That goes to the second thing, which is to find inside yourself that kind of fundamental pilot light that maybe has some anger woven into it in the beginning, especially of being mad that people have not believed in you or or irritated that you've been pushed around by life and you're, you want to change that. So now that you've got the pilot light, start focusing on where you can be successful take in the good of experiences of success and keep building from there. Mm, Related mm -hmm. to that, get realistic about building the inner, building the resources outside yourself and inside yourself that can give you realistic expectations of success. People who say, gee, I want to become, you know, an actor. Uh, I want to become a movie star, but never go on tryouts for different kinds of roles, auditions. Well, guess what? you're probably not going to become a movie star. We need to take action. And then third, there's a really interesting thing that can be a kind of sideways move in which you step out of the whole frame of positive expectations or negative expectations. In other words, high confidence, low confidence. You just step out of that frame entirely into don't know. Don't know. I don't know if this will succeed. I don't know if anyone will like me if I put my profile up on Match.com or whatever the young people use these days. I don't know. I don't know if anyone will want to read this book, but I'm still going to do it anyway. And that's really kind of a neat way to do it. You sort of step out of the whole frame of proving yourself to yourself or arguing against the doubting voices. You go, don't know, don't know, but I'm still going to go after it anyway. I think those are like a great three-point plan to particularly like the uh, practical how of developing more self-confidence with the more releasing insecurity kind of side of it. I think so much of this gets to the stories that we tell about ourselves, which get to our beliefs about ourselves. Like what are the core beliefs that we have? And this is kind of a CBT-ish maybe way of thinking about it that end up driving our behavior in different kinds of ways. And what are the stories that those beliefs are based on? Because a lot of the time when people talk about this kind of core belief sort of material, negative beliefs are framed as being irrational. Mm. They're framed as being like, oh, you just shouldn't have that negative belief. You got to get rid of that negative belief, you know, limiting limiting beliefs, limiting voices, all of that kind of stuff. And I just want to take a second here to pause and be like, our beliefs come from places. Like you are probably very rationally holding a negative belief because you internalized a story from something out in the world. It is understandable why you might have that belief about yourself or why you might have that belief about that's the way the world works. Mm -hmm. But that belief is based on learning that was done in a moment of time. And that moment doesn't exist anymore. That moment's back then. We're, We're right now, okay? And so we have to update those beliefs based on our current information. And we can go back to those old beliefs and ask ourselves, okay, why did that belief exist back then? Who was I learning from? 
Mm-hmm. What were that person's motivations about getting me to think or feel a certain kind of way? And that unpacking process where we both go back into the past and we create that coherent narrative around where does this belief come from? What's it based on? What were the circumstances? Was I really a scaredy cat back then? Or was I a five-year-old who really understandably didn't want to get on a roller coaster? Mm -hmm. You know, like whatever it is, uh, was my mom or dad or caregiver, whatever was going on there, really burnt out that day. They were dragging four kids through the through the amusement park and they just had it up to here with kind of life as opposed to me in that moment. And I was the person who got the stick. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can really go back and look at that through the eyes of an older person and start to kind of break down the foundation of those beliefs. And if it's actually a core belief that you have about yourself, if you really believe that you shouldn't be confident because there is something deeply wrong with you, that's going to take a long time to move. It's going to take a lot of iterations of breaking down that story to really kind of change it and work with it. And then there's this parallel process that happens in the present day where you're doing all of the things that you just said, that that three-part process, right? You're asking, oh, what if? You know, you're keeping that beginner's mind with it. You're engaging the pilot light. You're going out into the world and having more positive experiences. And those two tracks really working together, I think, is like really what ends up moving the ball here for people. But both parts of the process, both going out into the past and really being present right now with what's going on are critically important parts of it, I think. And, and they really support each other. I think that's really wise and fantastic. Oh, thank you. Because uh, you're really talking about stepping out of the story of the past, and you're observing in yeah. the present that, oh, I'm, I'm scoring points in the present. I'm succeeding yeah. in the present. I'm making virtuous effort in the present. Maybe a little bit of an analog to what you just said there about the present it's this other thing I just started mulling about here, which is that, so the question is in a, in a way a lot, what are we confident or doubtful about, right? Are we confident or doubtful that we can go out there on the dance floor, let's say, and look pretty good? Then there's another kind of confidence that I think is really underneath it all about a kind of bone deep confidence in your own innate goodness. Yeah, more self-worth qualities, for sure. Yeah, yeah. lack of confidence yeah. in your innermost being. And I find, actually, that it could be that people who don't have a deep, stable experience of confidence in their own innate goodness may well often try to become more confident about externally directed kinds of performing or Mm, getting mm -hmm. feedback from others, being wanted, being impressive, having higher status, et cetera, et cetera. So the stakes become really, really high about getting those external successes. On the other hand, just reflecting on this here, I think it's really true the more, certainly for myself, the more that I've learned to have a kind of, I guess, trust, and like my own sort of inherent goodness, you know, just that we all mm-hmm. have, right? Not because I'm yeah. special, we all have that. The more we have that kind of deep trust, the less it becomes preoccupying or upsetting mm-hmm. to have confidence or not about externally directed accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's totally true. Yeah. yeah. In some families, some situations, there's a lot of prizing and mirroring and recognition of that underlying goodness. And even then, all kinds of other things can get in the mix, temperament, events, history, and all the rest of that. However it happens, if you lack that kind of bone-deep feeling of your own worth, the word you used a few minutes ago, I think over time, you really can develop it, and it becomes more and more unconditional. Like, yeah, you Mm -hmm. want to succeed at certain things, and yeah, you want to increase the odds that you'll be successful at it so you can have more confidence about those achievements and the recognition you'll get from the world. But along the way, more and more, I think you can just, like, whatever the world does, you know, whatever happens out there in the world, without being narcissistic about it, but you can just really, really have kind of a settled sense of your own innate sweetness, goodness, sincerity, effort, mm-hmm. lovability, Deep in your innermost being. Yeah. Yeah. And and people will bucket these issues into different kinds of buckets. Like they might talk about having a self-efficacy problem. Mm 
self-efficacy tends to be more about um, our belief in ourselves or the belief that we have to influence our environment or accomplish specific kinds of tasks, accomplish particular kinds of goals. We can do the things that we need to do to create change in our life. That's like self-efficacy. And then there might be self-worth issues, which is kind of more what you're talking about, Dad. Like, does the person really feel good about themselves or not? Do they think of themselves as being valuable or worthy just based off of the fact that they're a person in the world? And then maybe there's self-confidence as more of a kind of generalized uh, the the climate rather than the weather sort of feeling that you can basically kind of do what you need to do in life or you can trust that you'll sort of figure it out. For me, I think about self-confidence as mostly being about whether or not we can absorb life's bumps and bruises without taking them too personally. You know, we're all going to have successes. We're all going to have failures. What do you do about them becomes the question. And that's sort of what self-confidence modulates. But even though these are all different things, I think they are totally bang on that like self-worth and self-confidence might not be exactly the same thing. But man, if you've got like a good sense of self-worth, it is way easier to be self-confident. And if you don't have a strong sense of self-worth, then it's really, really hard to be self-confident, I think. So one of the things that you said a second ago there, Dad, is you mentioned on narcissism yeah, and the feeling, the concern that many people have that if they become self-confident or if they're too self-confident, they will become narcissistic. And it's just such a common thing that people say that I wanted to just give you an opportunity here to talk about the difference between like narcissism and self-confidence and whether or not this is kind of a rational concern for people to have. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's one of those straw men that gets tossed up. And yeah, although I, totally. I find it wonder if we need to update the genderized language of the straw man, as it were. <laughs> the straw person? <laughs> straw, yeah. straw being? Yeah, we'll kind of work on that. But anyway, how often do you really see it? And usually, we, you know, we could do a whole thing on narcissism. We've actually talked about narcissism for a amount. Yeah. Very often the central issue in narcissism is around valuing and devaluing. So Mm. inside a narcissistic character, typically our underlying feelings of devaluation from various sources. So they're constantly trying to shore up their sense of value, often by devaluing others. And they tend Mm -hmm. to be extremely reactive to any threat to their value of themselves. If you become genuinely confident in which there's a genuine internal from the inside out sense of your own value, your own worth, both innately and in terms of various capabilities, various virtues, you know, various uh, experiences of, of being found uh, worthy and lovable and likable and includable by other people. Well, then the engine of narcissism starts burning out. It starts, it lacks mm-hmm. fuel, it starts falling away. I also want to add another thing that I thought of you can add it to my list of three so far. A fourth mm. about how to uh, build up a greater sense of confidence is to understand the ways in which there might well be a belief inside that being anxious about your abilities and full of self-doubt is actually a necessary means to the end of being successful in the world. So that ironically, mm. what enables you to be confident about your accomplishments is to have an intense sense of low confidence that's an engine of- That's like a motivation. You know, hitting to, the highest to, standard. Yeah. yeah. And what's mm. useful there is to really appreciate, no, wait a second here. You can engage the factors that lead to realistic expectations of success in various domains, work, love, and play. You can engage those factors without harshly doom, doomsaying yourself and, and being negative toward yourself along the way. Mm-hmm. You don't need to bring toxic, doubt to yourself, to motivate yourself to have high standards, to work hard, and to learn along the way. And that's a, I, I, that would mm-hmm. be a very, I think, useful fourth way to increase confidence, especially for people who have that engine going that, yeah. you know, it's only because I'm really hard on myself and I think I'm crap, you know, that I'm going to be motivated to rise yeah, to the occasion. Yeah, that pushes me to accomplish. Yeah. Totally, totally. Well, I thought of a funny thing too as well. I always say to people, number one, listen to what you tell other people to shore up their confidence, to be encouraging, to help them have faith in themselves and in the world, that if they take realistic steps, the odds are really good that there'll be success 
And if there is a failure, there is an inherent virtue and value in the sincere and skillful steps you took along the way. Listen to Mm -hmm. what you say to Mm -hmm. other people. Second, listen to what wise, loving friends and family and others say to you. What do they say to you? They see the good in you. They point out that the that the failure, if you will, that you're ruminating about and still preoccupied about 20 years later, that pass you dropped in that important high school football game 30 years ago, you're still ruminating over that. What do they say to you? Listen to what they say to you. And after you first listen to what you say to others, and second, listen to what others say to you, third, stop listening to what you say to yourself. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> stop listening to that negative doubting demeaning that's great i tearing, love that tearing love down that. voice yep yeah good stuff dad i really like that and particularly for people who struggle with self-criticism i yep. think that putting the wheel in somebody else's hands <laughs> with some of this stuff is a very good call and i've definitely i mean i've definitely had stuff where i was really benefited by putting the wheels in somebody else's yeah, hand uh right. something else i want to ask you about here that i think is a major impediment to self-confidence for people is their fear of what will happen to them if they are confident oh in other words if great. they express themselves with yeah. other people if they show up in their in their family system in their friend system and their whatever in a mm. slightly different way being a little bigger a little more who they actually are yeah. if they stop playing that part that small part, that masked part that other people have put them in, what might happen to them. And again, I just want to emphasize that that's a fear that's often born from experience. People have real experiences of this happening to us in different kinds of ways. I've had these experiences. I think that most people have. And I'm wondering, what do you think helps people deal with those fears, Dad? Because those are tough ones to crack. They're very real, and it's happened for me too. Mm -hmm. And it helps to appreciate that there are different people who make a living by taking other people down a notch. And Mm. you can think about situations, I think in academia, there's a very strong pressure to make your bones as a young assistant professor by taking down the big alphas in the field. And there's just a lot about that. So be aware of that in family systems and schools and cultures. A couple of things come to my mind that have helped me process and over time deal with when that happened to me. One is to be real with yourself about the shock, the hurt. You were just excited. Often it's little kids. It's when we're young. We're just kind of getting Mm. exuberant. We're dancing at the birthday party. We're singing that song. And suddenly great aunt Mary Lou just goes, shut up, you know, or something like that. And it just bursts our bubble. It's so deflating. It's so wounding. Be honest with yourself about how it landed on you. That's an important, often the very first step in the journey of healing around this and and finding a freedom again in relationship to that past and the possibility of it happening again in the future. Second, Mm -hmm. include your anger at the often injustice. It's often uh, people who have more power. Often it's the the mean kids, the mean girls, the mean boys in school who kind of gang up on that exuberant, slightly awkward goofball of a kid who then gets, wham, gets really slammed. It's okay to get in touch with your anger about it all. Third, learn from the experience. Become culturally competent in a certain kind of way. That's not so much about diversity per se, but it's about reading the room and learning the lesson. Oh, in that culture, a certain amount of self-confidence just lands badly you know, read the room and learn that lesson going forward. And then fourth thing that stands out for me, I love this line from Brene Brown, write for your fans, not your critics. Or the version of this from Buckminster Fuller, go where you are wanted to the extent you can. Rather than trying to reenact that doomed quest to get blood from the stone of the disapproving peers you had or relatives you had or bosses you had when you were younger, again and again and again, trying to get their approval. Honestly, maybe we need to grieve the loss of that hoped-for success and let it go, and then go more where you're going to be wanted, and people are not going to be so envious of you, try to you know bring you down to their size. 
they're not going to be so scared that you're a tall poppy and in the Australian metaphor, feel like they have to cut you down. They're going to be much more okay with you being as big and as large as you really are and they're going to celebrate you for it. Yeah. My experience with this is that most of the time when people are concerned about advocating for themselves in a certain kind of way, they're concerned about how other people will judge them if they take a little step in, if they act a little bit differently, whatever it might be. When they actually articulate what that would look like, or they actually just kind of do it and they really risk the dreaded experience, we're talking really about a very small change in behavior. Most of the time for most people, they go from being a, a two on the presence in the room scale to being a three and a half, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not a huge shift. And most of the time, it's really okay. And that's true for most people. And I think that if you're in that category, it's about kind of braving those experiences in graduated ways, taking in when it doesn't go so poorly. And to your point, dad, being really thoughtful and discerning about who you're doing that with. So you're more and more likely to have positive experiences. There are some people who have a really, really difficult time turning the knob a little bit. Mm. And they're either a zero or they're a 13 on a 10-point scale. (laughs) And a lot of the time when you're in that category, it's because there's some kind of a regulation issue. Mm. And if you're in that category this whole thing becomes a little complicated because you're not getting those positive experiences because they are going kind of badly for you because you are coming on a little strong with other people. And so maybe there it becomes more important to learn regulation skills or learn what just a little bit looks like or get increasingly okay with a slightly better version of a thing rather than the exact version of the thing that you feel like you want. I was just thinking that kind of while you were talking to Adam and wondering what you think about it. I think you're really right, especially if if mm. a person is a person who can land in a situation in which they're not reading the room. For me, I, I try to imagine two things. One is uh, almost like a, a kind of a clock. How many words am I using? How many minutes am I taking for myself in this meeting here or in this sitting around the table, having dinner with friends mm-hmm. situation, and trying to make sure that I don't take more than my fair share. And mm-hmm. particularly if, given that the privileges that go with being you know, tall, white, older man in America, that uh, I really try to do less, take less than my proportionate fraction of the time when I can, so there's more, more space for other people. So if you, guidelines like that are helpful. Another one is that I kind of imagine that a camera is in the upper corner of the room that's just videotaping everything, and it's going to be played at, you know, whether it's the <laughs> California Board of Psychology or at your <laughs> wedding or my memorial oof, service. Oof. Uh, you know, that tends to, <laughs> it's not quite yeah. the equivalent of the prospect of being hung in the morning, concentrating on a person's mind, but it does kind of help us stay you know, inside the yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, and, and I want to be really careful here that I, I don't want to like close this episode with a with a caution against being too much self expression or something yeah. like that. I think that people who fall into that category are definitely the minority. Yeah, by and large, self expression is safe and safe environments for people, and most people becoming a little bit more self confident is going to do nothing but great things for them if they're able to walk the path that we've kind of outlined here. But, you know, for some people, this is a consideration, and I want to want to try to be of service to them too. And I wonder about things like graduated experiences, which is sometimes a way that people talk about, like OCD treatment, where you see if you can give a little bit of this moreness of you, and then kind of pull it back, and give a little bit and kind of pull it back and get increasingly comfortable with that feeling of being more in the middle as opposed to being either a zero or a 10. This is a really interesting topic. Like often in these conversations, and I hope people stick to the end because there are these, I think, jewels, uh, unexpected that we kind of stumble into. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. like in any good conversation. And maybe because I'm in a mood today, I don't know. uh, I've been in a mood throughout. This is a moody day for you, Dad. I like this. (laughs) yeah. I'm going to say it almost as a Rick's rule. It's not a real rule, but something like that. I'm going to say that if you express yourself about something and you find that other people are tuning out or 
they don't particularly value what you've offered, really much of the time, I think probably well over half the time, that's about them and not you. Yeah, They just were not willing to take the extra 30 seconds to understand what you were saying. Maybe they don't want to understand it because their incentive structure is rooted in not understanding the point that you're making, kind of related to the classic line, you can't convince somebody of something that it is their paycheck not to believe. On the other hand, read the room. You know, you say this complicated, interesting, deep, profound, semi-spiritual thing, and other people kind of glaze out. It's not because you're a whack job. It's because they're just not tuning in, you know, to what you're yeah. offering. I you're mean, because they don't value it, yeah. whatever. Totally. They don't value it. So that's yeah. that's part one. Then Rick's rule number two, 90% of the time, if people actively shoot you down, which is different from my first case in which they just don't get it or don't join with you or are not particularly acknowledging or valuing of what you offer. But if they actually shoot you down, I think 90% of the time, it was about them. It wasn't about Mm -hmm. the worth Mm -hmm. of what we were doing. It was their trip. Mm -hmm. It was their agenda. It was their fear. It was their ignorance. It was their rigidity. It was their resistance to innovation. It was their Mm -hmm. small-mindedness. It was their envy. It was their prejudice. It was their attempting to solidify their group identity by shooting down, you know, an outsider. It was their stuff, not you. Yeah, I love that. So the 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 quiet eyes glaze, maybe that's a 65-35 or 60-40, but the the aggressive opposition is probably more like a 90-10 balls in yeah. their court. And and yeah. I would say that my experience has been consistent with yours. That it's sort of one thing if people kind of like turn the other way softly, and it's really another if there's a lot of kind of aggressive opposition to yeah. your self-expression yeah. and your attempts to just become more confident over time. Yeah. So yeah. we've talked about a lot in this, and we've kind of wandered our way through a number of different topics. So I think it might be helpful at the end here to do almost like a little recap, which is normally what I do in the outro, Dad, but I'm just going to kind of do it with you here Please. about how to actually go through this process of becoming more confident. And then you, I want you to add on to it right. whatever you think about this. Okay, so for me, what are we looking for? We're looking for the ability to tolerate the normal bumps and bruises of life without taking it too personally. And we're also looking for the ability to believe in ourselves enough to express ourselves in ways that feel authentic to us. Because the more that we feel that, the better we're going to feel. Positive experiences, good thing. And the key thing that we're looking at here is both how many wins are we having, because having wins of different kinds, and I'm, I'm using the word win very broadly here. A win could be a lot of different things. Positive interaction with somebody else participation ribbon, full-on gold trophy, whatever it is here, just a win, making it to the pillow at the end of the day, okay? We all have wins. The key is, are we going to experience them along Mm. the way in a meaningful way? And that's really what we're looking for, being able to tolerate the bumps and bruises, experiencing wins as we're having them. And to me, that gets to like two tracks, right? We're trying to release insecurity on the one hand, and then we're trying to grow confidence in the other. And releasing insecurity, I think, is really about going into the past. We're going into what happened back then. How did we create these stories? How did we uh, find the beliefs that we're currently walking around with that are curtailing our confidence or curtailing our self-expression, right? Mm. And we uh, talked about several ways to go through that process, some narrative therapy stuff, some uh, giving yourself over to the good within you stuff, like a lot of different ways to, to go through that. And then we have this second track, which is more about building confidence in the here and now. And again, we talked about a number of things. I emphasized over and over that notion of experiencing wins. We also talked about reframing what qualifies as a win. And maybe part of this that kind of uh, ran through it all together is the notion that confidence is changeable, that it's just not this fixed trait. It's something we can actually learn. And then, Rick, you said a lot of great stuff about uh, the importance of self-worth here and about how it's not just about this kind of calculation of will I or will I not be successful? And it's much more about how do I feel along the way and do I feel good as a person as I'm doing it? 
And then we kind of closed with uh, some really practical relational stuff, being thoughtful about who you're dropping into the self-confidence with, being careful about the kinds of people that you bring into your self-confidence, self-expression bubble is maybe a way to put it, and the kinds of people where you go, you know what? I'm just not going to get that blood from that stone. And if I keep on trying, I'm not going to have a win. And if I don't have a win, I can't experience a win. So that's how I would kind of summarize everything we've talked about today. What do you think, Dad? I think, wow. I landed the plane here. Wow, landed the (laughs) plane on home plate. Love that. Love that. We slid on in. Well, I may or may not do a uh, do a dedicated outro for this episode because I feel like we just kind of did it right there. But is there anything else that you would like to like to add at the very end here, Dad? Or are you feeling good about this one? Oh, just the takeaway about supporting deep confidence in other people. Mm. And being that person who lifts people up rather than tears them down, being that person who claps at their parade rather than raining on it, being that person, when you think of the root of the word for confidence, confide, with faith, that supports the realistic faith of other people in themselves and in the world and in the future. It wouldn't be an episode of Being Well if you didn't like drop the root language for some word. From, I don't even know what language that was that was from, but... <laughs> I love how you just slid that in at the end there. It really wouldn't be an episode of Being Well without it. But I totally love doing this with you, Dad. And I I think this is a great conversation. I really hope it helps people. Yeah. 